Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves podcast coming in hot from Hawaii, Hawaii. Maui to be specific. So if you hear birds in the background and you're like, oh, what's that noise? Like it's so annoying. It's birds singing, playing music for your ears. So, you know, you're welcome. A little soundtrack to my voice. This week, we're doing it a little differently. I am going to be answering letters that I received. Whew, right? This is going to be fun. I can't wait. And also, I wanted to talk about something that I heard this week, a couple questions that I really loved that I, I thought were very poignant. The first question was, what is it that you want most out of this life? Like if you could have one thing realized in this lifetime, what is it? And think about that, you know, for me, it's, it's, the freedom that is attained through alignment, the freedom that is attained through the through alignment, alignment being that I am living according to all the truths I know. My integrity is tied to the fact that am I living according to what I know to be true? Because whenever we live out of alignment with what we know to be true, we experience pain because there's an alternate version of us, an upgraded version of us that's available, and we are not doing that. And then we complain and we're like, oh man, you know, I can't figure out how to, even though the answer is literally there, we just don't like the answer. So that's the first question. What do you want most out of this life? That if you could have one thing realized, what would that be? And then the second question, get ready. Even the bird's excited about it. What are you not willing to give up to get that? What are you not willing to give up to get that thing? And let me give you some examples. So let's say that peace is something that we want. Internal peace. Peace within. But yet we 
know that we need to do something like quit drinking. We're getting that intuitive hit. But we're not willing to give that up. Well, how can we be at peace when we have an intuitive nudge that we are not listening to that is constantly ringing in our heads and our hearts? We can't achieve peace. We have to be willing to give up something, something that distracts us from presence to ourselves. And another one might be freedom, right? Freedom, whatever that means for you. And if we're not telling the truth in our life, how can we be free? As I said last week, we live in a prison that we build ourselves. We're not free when we are prisoners of our own lack of sharing our voice, our openness, our honesty. You know, maybe we want true love. And often we define true love as loving another, to find someone, to experience true love. But if we live a life that is out of integrity with our values, We can't be in love with ourselves. We will never experience true love outside of ourselves till we model it ourselves. One, because we won't recognize it. And two, because our own internal world will not be that. And so you can't experience it because it's not being experienced at its core. Now you can meet someone who loves you and reminds you that you are worthy, that, that they give you a hint of unconditional love, of true love. But we will often sabotage that, run from that, not be attracted to that, because we will not be able to hold that container ourselves. So this just shows you how much that work is always internal. I want you to think about these questions as you go through your week. What is it that I want most out of this life? And what am I not willing to give up? I hear people say all the time things like, I want a great relationship, but they're not willing to give up one night stands. You know, and it doesn't mean that you can't have a time where you want to do the old, um, the old, uh, you know, casual hump. That's, you know, that's if that's your intention, do that. But you can't be doing casual humping all the time and being like, oh, I want a deep, loving, soulful relationship. Let me just go bang one out over here. Because a choice is never just a choice. Whenever you choose something, you are at the same time not choosing something else. And so, you know, if you're doing the old Humpty Hump with randoms, which again, this is not a moral judgment. I could give a shit if you do the Humpty Hump. It's just don't do the old casual bang all the time and then be like, but I want true love from really this person who values, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's the thing is we don't go in 100% in the things we say we want. We go in like 90 and then we complain with other people that are in 90. I'm like, man, there's just, there's no good people out there. Oh man. In like cities with 10 million people. But that's that way that we, we hold ourselves back and then we meet other people who hold themselves back. We are being authentic. And then we meet other people who aren't being authentic. You know, we're not being truly committed to what we want. And it's easier to complain about not getting it than to actually give up the thing we most don't want to give up, which is complaining, which is beliefs that get in the way, which is surrounding ourselves with other people who hold the same things. So this is really just an invitation because it was an invitation to me. And it was a beautiful one. I felt the the truth of 
the realization that I was not willing to give up busyness, that I was being intuitively called to more stillness and more silence. I was like, man, I've already been so still. It's like, okay, more. And just truly realize that. And then there just needed to be a deeper surrendering to letting go of a future I thought I held, that I thought was possible, that I thought would be with my past partner. Just like recognizing that that story still lived at the ether that I wasn't really conscious of and to just fully let go. Fully let all the old stories die. And so this is, again, an invitation to you to look for the things that you're not willing to give up, which there's nothing wrong with those things. There really isn't. I mean, if they're damaging your health and hurting you, then there's something wrong with those things. But if they're just the way you want to live and it is quote-unquote normal and you want to do that, do that. And at maybe some point, you'll decide years down the road that you are ready to give that thing up. That lifestyle, that whatever it is. It's not a rush. It's just a recognition. All right. So we did that. And now we're going to get into the old Q&A. Well, it's not a Q&A because I'm just going to talk and you're, <laughs> you're going to listen. It won't even be your question, maybe, but it might be your question. That's how the universe works. All right, so the first question is, he finally wants to change after I left. Whew. Okay, let's get into this one. Hey, Mark, I'm new to your podcast and Instagram. I really enjoy your content so far. So far. Well, thank you. You'll probably enjoy this one because you're getting an answer. Do you have any insight or thoughts on having a partner who is unable to meet my needs or reconnect deeply or sorry, or connect deeply for seven years? I've been open about my needs. I had been open around about my needs for the whole relationship. I know I should have left way sooner. But now that I've left, they're all of a sudden willing to change and do anything to get me back. I feel like this probably isn't uncommon. To what extent can you expect a long-term partner to all of a sudden change in an effort to rekindle the relationship after you've left? What are the chances that this change could be long-term? Thanks for your time. Well, isn't this just a regular thing that happens? You know, we're in the relationship, we're expressing what's going on. I mean, you did it for seven years. That is a commitment. And, you know, we have to look for within this, just some questions, just for the people listening. You know, one, I want to pre-qualify. I'm going to generalize a lot because I don't have the person here to ask questions. So I might make some generalizations, but I'm going to do the best to play in the gray. So the first question I would ask for anyone in a situation like this who stays in a relationship where their needs are not getting met for seven years is one, at what point did you abandon yourself to stay in the relationship? And usually we can look back and there were quite a few whys in the road where we took a left, where we should have taken a right. And should have is not to induce shame, it's to say just a recognition and acknowledgement that when we look back, we recognize that truth. But in the moment of the why in the road, we did the best we could. So it was the best decision we could make. But once you make a decision that doesn't work out, you now have valuable information. 
usually we go back and we're, we shame the part of us that didn't choose differently, but that's actually the very part of us that taught us this new knowledge. So love the part of you that makes decisions that you now look back and call mistakes. So the next thing I would just make for self-inquiry is, do you meet your own needs? Do you have a way of meeting your own needs? Do you depend on your partner to meet all your needs? They're just questions. Now, now let's get into the old partner that does the, oh, I've refurbished my life and now I'm different and take me back. I'm ready. Whew, there's a couple things that, I mean, we have to, we obviously have to get into some nuance here. So the first about that is, is this something that's happened before? Do they do this little change game and then you get them and then they go back to being the same fucking person they were before? That's just something to look at. If that's a pattern, believe the pattern, which is, uh, yeah, they do this all the time. They're not actually permanently changing. The second thing is if someone changes for us, then it's dependent on us. So if we leave that quality, that behavior changes and goes back. So they're doing it to get us back. So it's not internally driven. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't have an external motivation. Like you lose someone and then you realize how much you haven't shown up for them, how much you have ignored them, how much you have taken them for granted. And all of a sudden you start to pay attention because you recognize the space that they used to take up is where your awareness goes. The pain of that space motivates you. So the next, I would just invite some questions. Now, what has this person actually done to actually grow? What is the proof? What have they actually done? And I think the real inquiry can be, hey, you know, I'm open to possibly getting to know you again. And in that, we need to rebuild trust because I don't actually feel like I can trust that what you're saying is true. These are all realities, right? We have to tell the truth in our relationships. We don't want to avoid the deep truth. The deep truth is, I'm going to have a hard time trusting you because you've said you're going to do things in the past and you don't do it. So I can't trust your word. When I can't trust your word, I can't trust you. When I can't trust you, that means that I can't fully open to you. I can't fully surrender to you. There will always be a part of me that is guarded and holding back in those situations. And then I would just express what that would mean, because that's going to be specific to you. What I need to rebuild trust with you is, and I need to know that these behaviors are actually going to last, that they're actually permanent changes, and that you actually are curious about my needs, not just because you're interested in getting me back. Say those things. That's the truth. And then you just have to trust yourself. You have to, the reason I asked about where did you abandon yourself earlier is because that will be the part where you begin to lose trust in yourself. You know that you are prone to abandoning yourself to maintain connection. So the real work for us, the person, if you're in that situation, is to recognize where you abandon self because we'll start to put that on them. Where, you know, wherever you hold resentment, wherever, 100% of the time, is where you don't prioritize yourself. It's just a mirror to the fact that you make other people more important than yourself. Repairing after workaholism and affairs. I just want to qualify that I've never read letters out loud, so I've stumbled a few times here. Just bear with me, I swear I can read. Hi, Mark. 
I'm wondering, can people successfully have a relationship while being completely career-driven, running their own business, and still dedicate enough time and presence to their partner? I recently went through a breakup from a four-year relationship where my partner and I became so completely disconnected because she was so consumed in her career business. When I would express my needs and wants, they were seen as being nagging or pointing out everything she was doing wrong. When really, I wanted, all I wanted was attention and her to be present, to have time away from her phone and computer. It ended with her having an affair, when really I probably should have left a long time ago. I'm really struggling letting go because of the life we had created and how many common interests we had in activities. Now, six months later, the affair blew up, and now she is wanting to talk and see if it's repairable. Is it too far gone? Where do I begin? Oh, man, that is a doozy. Okay, let's get into can you have a successful relationship and run your own business? Yes, of course you can. Now, we often think of this idea of work-life balance, which is really just that term alone is misrepresentative of what, you know, there's sort of an idea in that term that you have to give up one to get the other. And so we think of it being this balance. I I like to think of it as work-life synergy that are either slash both giving us energy or taking our energy. Often people who are very career-driven, and I'm generalizing, are generally received performance-based love as children. So they're very achievement-based. Perfectionists, high achievers tend to be in that place because that's where they source their worth. So without it, there's sort of a sense of unworthiness. Now, the challenge with perfectionism and workaholism or high-achieving is that there's always this underlying feeling, if if that's how we identify our worth, that are they choosing me for that? Or is my worth living that? Or is it because of who I am? So there's still a, a, la- a sort of lingering sense of a lack of self-worth because it's still a mask. It's still a way of protecting ourselves from being fully vulnerable. You see this in a lot with what we've taught men, how they value themselves. Their masculinity is based on their ability to provide, the amount of money they make, their size of their muscles. And so what happens is is when they can't provide, there's a real sense of unworthiness because that's how we've identified their worth. So in this type of situation, I would first say, yes, it's possible. And we can dive really deep into one area of our life where we source our worth. And, you know, when you think about work-life balance, it's like if you didn't have a job and you were home all the time, I mean, your partner would be pretty annoyed by you. Just like if you're at work and never home, the same thing. Now, when we are home, are we present? You know, it sounds like she wasn't present. She was on her phone and her computer all the time. And when you did express your needs and wants, there was a defensiveness that you were being nagging and pointing out everything she was doing wrong. Well, Yes. I mean, that's ultimately what expressing a need and feedback is, is saying, hey, I see this and I would appreciate this. Remember, but behind every criticism is a desired behavior. I I hate it when you do that, which is really, I'd like you to do this. But we frame it as a criticism because it's usually how we saw people express their needs uh, when we were kids. That's how we saw our parents' model behavior, which is just does a beautiful dance with defensiveness, right? You always, you never, and then automatically um, people who are prone to defensiveness get reactive. 
Now, one of the antidotes to criticism is framing your statements in I statements. I feel, I like to frame mine in, in my experience. That way it leaves space for their experience. So in my experience, when you're home, I, I love that you work. I love that you are so driven in your passions. And I love spending time with you when you're home. And often when you're home, I find that you're on your phone a lot or on your computer. And while I understand that you often need to do that for your work, I also feel that it sometimes gets in the way of us being present with each other. Would it be possible that you could set aside some specific times to use your computer and your phone and the other times we could you know, be deliberate and intentional with each other? So see how that's framed in a way that is really um, navigating the words so that they're not triggering. Now, if someone gets triggered by that, then we know that they're very prone to defensiveness. Defensiveness requires healing. And as someone who's a recovering defender, I can tell you it is like eating your shoe, the antidote to this. It is like eating a giant, dirty, athletic shoe. And it is to hear feedback and say, I can see some truth in that. Oh, God, right? So imagine if you heard um, Ked's feedback. You know, I really wish that we could be more present with one another. Could we set up some rules about our phones when we're together? And, you know, and then the other, I noticed that you're on your phone a lot when you're home and with me. And imagine saying back to that, I can see some truth in that. Connective, right? Of course, we want to say, well, you're on your phone. You use your phone all the time. I saw you use your phone yesterday. I saw you on Instagram double liking a couple things. Your mom called too. You know, like we try to do anything to dissuade away from us. Usually defensiveness is about raising the game. So we raise the criticism. So here's in that space. Can someone really do both? Yes. And it ended up with her having an affair. And you said, I probably should have left a long time ago. So again, we have another case of self-abandonment within a relationship. Needs not getting met. Usually people who sit in spaces where their needs don't get met usually didn't get their needs met as children. You know, and that just makes sense. They're, we're conditioned, used to um, making life about the other person. And so I would just start to look at your own relational story, start to look at you know, there's a great book from Dr. Alexandra Salman called uh, Loving Bravely. That's a great way to dive into your own relational self-awareness and begin that journey because I can guarantee that both of these are patterns, both of these first letters, and which is true of all of our relationships. So I'm really struggling letting go because of the life we had created and how many common interests we had in activities. Look, if you did an audit of the relationship you want and the relationship you had, I would bet that it sits at 30 to 50% of what you actually want. So we get lost in this idea of potential. You know, we get a couple breadcrumbs. We share a couple activities. We both like hiking. You know, we have good sex. But she had an affair, which I'm not saying we need to persecute people who have affairs. I'm saying that because she didn't like hearing how she was experienced. Again, I don't know how you used your words, but let's just make some assumptions. She didn't like hearing how she was experienced and that she wasn't showing up in the relationship. Because saying that you were pointing out that everything she was doing wrong tells me that she doesn't like actually hearing what she's doing wrong. And so 
there's a sense of unworthiness to face the truth of how she's experienced by the world. She probably knows she's lost in her work. She probably knows she's distracted by her phone and computer. She probably knows she's not present, which induces low-level shame. Well, she doesn't like hearing that, so she went and sought affirmation somewhere else. And now her world has blown up because, of course, when you seek affirmation somewhere else, the pattern still repeats. You know, we have to change our choices. We have to face our truths and our patterns. Now, is it repairable? I mean, that's up to you. Is it repairable? What would, you know, I would almost guarantee. Well, I would go back and listen to a podcast episode I did with Julie Gottman. And it's on betrayal and uh, infidelity. And there's a part of it that is part of the process of the repairing is atonement, actually atoning, actually taking the time to rebuild the trust. And you, as the person who's been betrayed, gets to ask for what that atonement looks like. Just like in the first letter, it's about saying, this is what I need to rebuild trust. This is what I need. This is what it looks like. Now, I'm going to guess that it's going to be a little challenging to declare what those needs are for you and stand in the truth of them. That is the test to see if you will abandon yourself to get this 30 to 50% connection. Write down everything you want in a relationship. Everything. Everything that you want. And then do an audit of your past relationships. And most of the time when I have people do this, it's like 30 to 60% their past relationships. And then take a moment and do an audit of yourself. Do you show up with those skills? Do you live in those values? Because if we want someone to meet our needs, do we meet our needs? If we want someone to be honest with us, do we tell the truth? I mean, I remember working with one person who wrote their commitment was to be more honest. I was like, cross out more. Be honest or don't. It's binary. It's not kind of honest. You're honest or you're not. And so where do you begin? You begin by looking at your own pattern. You begin by saying, what are my, what are my deal breakers? What's my bottom line? Everybody should get to know their bottom line. If you don't know your bottom line, then you're not standing on solid ground because you'll tolerate shitty behavior. If you don't get to know what your deal breakers are and you don't stand in them, then they're just suggestions. You have to get to know what your deal breakers are. And what behaviors will you not allow ever? Are you 100% in on what you want? 100%. You don't get to be 90 and then complain about being 90. 100%. When we are seeking a relationship, we can't be like, okay, this is what I want, and then go out, and then every single fucking connection we have, we just make the one. Allow someone to become the one. They're not just the one because your groin yearns for them. You know, they're not the one just because you get butterflies in your stomach. Butterflies are also anxiety. I mean, we might want to look at that. Love is actually calm. Love is peaceful. It doesn't mean that it's void of conflict. It's how we handle conflict that matters. And we have to learn how to handle it ourselves. Imagine if the next time we receive criticism and it was part of our little dance that we do with our partners and we said, you're right. Or the next time we went to shut down, hang up the phone, leave, storm off, God damn them, 
I'm not going to give him access to me. Fuck this. We actually stayed. Now, if it's safe for you, if it's not safe for you, then leave. This is how we change our patterns. This is how we change our patterns. Is we actually look at how we do the dance. And a simple way to understand what your dance is, is that you just complete the sentence. When you do this, it makes me do this, which makes you do this, and makes me do this. When you get angry, I withdraw, which makes you more angry, which makes me shut down and leave. And you'll start to see that all relationships have a dance, and they all involve two people. And there's a great line from Byron Katie that is, you can't have war with one person. If you put your arms down, the other person can't do the same dance anymore. All right, next letter. Hi, Mark. I absolutely love your videos and always listening to your podcast. Well, I hope you listen to this one. You're one of the most empowering people I've ever seen. Whew, shit, that's good. I appreciate that one. I'm going through a really, really difficult phase. I'm facing the most difficult time of my life. I'm a mom of one and married. Married, but also I have been single for four years. What I mean by that is there is no intimacy and no connection and separate beds. I'm actually moving out in April, but we have to stay under the same roof for a bit for financial reasons. Loads of problems there that are hopefully ending soon. So here's the question. I've met someone. Good job, has two kids, been single for over three years. Everything is amazing at the beginning. Ooh, everything was amazing at the beginning. He promises to support me and understand the, and that he understood the whole situation. Then after two months, he started screwing around with his ex, back and forth. He kept promising me he isn't interested in her, but needed the closure, and then he would see her again. This happened more than four to five times. He claims he doesn't want her, but his ego plays with him and he makes bad decisions. He's asking me to go back together with him, and move in with him this year, and he wants to have a long-term relationship with me. Oof. The worst thing is that we have a great connection. Well, it doesn't sound that bad. We can talk for hours, and we have feelings for each other, but he doesn't seem... He seems to be stuck somewhere in there with his ex, and I'm sure if I get back together with him, he will let me down again. In the meantime, I don't feel like any, anyone understands me like him. I've been on my own for so long that I'm totally confused with love. Well, let's just call a spade a spade here. Um, you have not actually been on your own. You've been in relationships. You've never sat on your own in this experience. Um, but you have been lonely within your relationships. You have felt lonely. You have been starved and void of connection. And I mean, you're still intertwined with your ex. You still live under the same roof. And you are with someone who's still intertwined with their ex. And one, I would just, I'm, I'm just going to be straight up with you. This guy's full of shit. I mean, he's full of shit. And this is where any connection, when we've been starved of connection, and we haven't actually sat in the space of our own hearts, will give us this fleeting hope and we will cling to it so tight because it feels like the love that we have so desperately wanted. But because we haven't sat in the space of our own aloneness, 
we can't actually be objective about what is coming into our lives. So if we don't fill the space that is created by the X and actually get to know ourselves and our patterns and why we do what we do and why did we tolerate four years of living in separate beds and doing those things. And this is not to look back and be critical. It's to look back and be analytical, to be a scientist to, you know, like an anthropologist that studies our behavior, our past without judgment. And this guy, I mean, goes back and forth to his ex. This shows how starved you are for connection that you'll take anything. I mean, take someone who really loves themselves and believes that they're worthy of great things. Someone who's going back and forth to their ex, that behavior is is no-go, not fucking happening. So, you know, it's you don't feel like anyone understands you like him. Well, he gives you just the very minimum. The minimum and you're tolerating the minimum, which I would invite you to raise your standard because you are living in a cycle of pain. You're living in a cycle of pain. And you know, interestingly, I'm sure for everyone listening, if you're in a similar situation, but if you're not, that everyone can connect to the truth of this when it's not themselves. So I have so much compassion for when we're in the story that we can't see the story because we're caught in our wound cycles. We're caught in our wound cycles of hope that behavior will change, that someone will finally see me. You're in the same pattern, still not feeling seen, still not feeling chosen, still not feeling chosen, which shows you exactly what is the invitation here to choose yourself. You don't leave a relationship that's devout of connection and do all that courageous, brave work to then step into a situation that is lowering your fucking standards. You do this courageous, brave work so you can claim yourself, so you can rise. And of course, sometimes we need a couple cosmic two-by-fours to the head, and this is a a double two-by-four. That's saying like, hey, do you love yourself? Do you value yourself? And you're likely undoing generations of pleasing behavior, of quieting behavior. And this is so true, especially if you're a woman, that, you know, voices have not been celebrated and standing in the truth of your power, standing in your needs, standing in your wants, all of these things, defining worth, which happens for men too, defining our worth through being chosen, defining our worth through a man claiming us and being there for us and providing for us, I mean, he also said that he's going to support you, you know, and this is about you standing and rising in your truth and stepping into your power and really choosing yourself and not settling for this bullshit behavior. Because if you settle for bullshit behavior, guess what you're going to believe you're worthy of? Yeah. And if you look at your core beliefs, they will always be mirrored by the the lowest choice you make. And what I mean by that is not hierarchical. It's just in when you look at the choices someone makes in their life, you can tell what they believe about themselves. And that's why just analyzing someone's choices, you can say, ooh, that person does have quite a sense of unworthiness. So I would just simply ask myself in this situation, if I loved myself, if I was in love with me, 
if I was sleeping next to myself in bed, if I cared about myself, if I set a high standard, if I met my bottom line, what would I do here? How would I show up? What am I most afraid of? Because I'm going to guess that you're most afraid of being alone, which is different than lonely. Loneliness comes from the belief that someone else can give us the thing we seek. It comes from the belief that we will find wholeness and true love and all those things through another. Aloneness is, I can sit in all of me. I love all of me. There's a quote from, I forget who said it, but it is, my alone feels so good. I'll only have you if you're sweeter than my solitude. Our partnership should contribute to our lives. It doesn't mean that at times they won't need work and there won't be some, you know, necessity to uh, dive in and, and really, you know, do some choosing and some work and some growth together. But it is that even in that is an invitation to our expansion. It still contributes to it is sweeter than our solitude. If you want to find the quickest way to self-actualization, fall in love, right? That's the fastest way to grow. That's the fastest way to expand is to hear what you suck at. To hear the feedback you get from your partner and to see the spaces where you give your needs away, where you self-abandon, where you love hard, quote unquote, without boundaries. I hear so many people, but I just love, I just give. I just, I'm so giving and they take advantage of me. What a righteous throne to stand on. When we give our love, expecting them to be a certain way. And we keep giving it knowing that the song we can sing is the secret contract we've created, which we learned as kids. Give, 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 and then be the martyr. Because there's a big song for that. Because other people go, I love heart too, and people take advantage of me. And it's such a moment of responsibility in our lives when we finally say, I gave myself away. I allowed that. I stepped into the space of recognizing that I chose that. What a beautiful space to be in. All right, next letter. I started dating someone. I don't know if we're on the same life path. I started dating someone two months ago and it moved pretty quickly. The relationship has been great so far and we determined early on we wanted to be exclusive because we were happy with where it was going. We both want to be in a committed relationship and build a life with someone. The guy is in his early 40s and was married for a few years with no kids. He's been divorced for six plus months. He and I spoke about what we want for the future. I'm in my early 30s and I am clear that I want to be married and have kids in the next few years. I'm not in a rush, but I want to work towards it. He is undecided if he wants to get remarried or have kids. He said that he can't give me a straight answer on if he wants to, that he can only be honest, and that it's a strong maybe for him, but not a definite no. It's too early to cut it off. Is it too early to cut it off with this information? We seem to not have the same life goals, or at least I'm super clear and he isn't. I don't want to break something off that's otherwise good, but I also don't want to waste my time. Who? This is a really common conundrum which is when we get very clear on our deal breakers. So deal breakers are things like smoking or not smoking, doing drugs, not doing drugs, 
drinking, not drinking, to have kids or not, when to have kids, to get married or not. All of these things tend to be deal breakers. Now, deal breakers are they are a lot, they're the thing that you have to hold to when you're dating because really the test of the universe is they'll give you someone who's almost the thing. And it's like, are you willing to sell out on your deepest truth wants? And, and you get to choose. I mean, there's no right or wrong in that. It's just that you get to choose. Deal breakers are often connected to our soul in some sense that we feel like I really, this is something that is so important to me. And when we don't stay present to them and, and actually honor them, we often feel a deep sense of self-abandonment and resentment because we have forgotten about ourselves. So, I mean, when someone has only been divorced for just six plus months, um, and I'm making an assumption that it's in that six to 12 month range, or else you would have said one, two, three years, six plus months to recover from a divorce if someone's being intentional about it and hasn't just, you know, been replacing the space of their past with new people, you know, that saying to get over your ex, get under the next, um, FYI, that actually doesn't work. Although a pleasurable experience, I'm sure, um, short term, it does not work long term because we have to sit in the space of the discomfort of the grief of the loss to really look at, you know, and, in sexual stimulation and pleasure can be a great way to soothe, a great way to numb. It can be another form of drug. And we all know that. So I would just get very clear that having kids is really important to you. I know you said it is. Now, when someone says they're undecided about getting remarried, this happens a lot with marriage. Now, remember, marriage is a word. And words are what we give a definition to. So that's all words are is shared definitions. So when I say married, I have a belief about what marriage is. And when you say married, you have a belief about what marriage is. And that comes from cultural, religious, all these different constructs. And what occurs is that people observe what marriage meant as kids. So if you saw your parents get divorced, you saw your parents cheat on each other, you saw um, aggression or your mom could never leave or your dad didn't want to go or, you know, like all of these different ways, they become the definition of marriage rather than what a relationship looks like. Whether the word marriage is there or not is separate from how you define relationship. But we often associate, well, if I get married, then my relationship's going to become like that. No, your relationship can become like that just because you didn't actually look at your patterns and what you learned and how it affects you. This is about taking command over what a word means for you. If you don't like the definition of marriage that you inherited and you observed, define it yourself. Define what it looks like for you. So write out what is the ideal relationship? What would that look like? And get very clear on it. And what a beautiful opportunity to choose your life, choose it intentionally. And so if I'm with someone, I would just have them write down, what is your definition? What do you most want in a relationship? And both of you write that down so you can be intentional. Now, all relationships are shared agreements. That's all they are. But most people actually don't write down what their agreements are. They assume what they are. And then they're upset when the other person doesn't have the same agreements as them. And often this can happen in the subject of kids. 
I got married to them. They didn't want to have kids. I thought they would change their mind. And then years later, they do not. And so I would get just a little curious with him. And you have to decide there is a line for you that will be self-abandonment. So you can hold. And I would just get more curious with him. What is it that holds you back from wanting to have kids? Because you say it's not a definite no, what would make it a yes? How would you know it's a yes? What would be the situation or, or possibility that would make it a yes? And what a beautiful opportunity for inquiry to really have a, a really lovely discussion about this. Because remember, at the end of the day, you always have you. You're honoring yourself. If we don't honor ourselves, then our worth lives in the choice of the relationship. As in, if I give away my desire to have kids to keep them, keeping them is the validation that I feel like I love me. As where if I choose myself, I want to have kids and I need to stand in my truth. I can't let that go. If we happen to let that person go, we still have a deep sense. Although there's going to be loss and grief, we have a deeper sense of worth that's being cultivated within ourselves and self-trust. There's a part of us that's going, oh my God, I actually trust myself. I actually love me. I know I have my own back. When, when push comes to shove, I'm here. I don't fold. Wow, that's amazing. And so I would invite just more questions. What would a yes look like? How would you know it's a yes? Um, what would, how would you know you want to have kids? What would change? And just be curious and be open and, and hear the truth because he's telling you the truth. Often people tell us the truth and we don't believe them because we think we know better for them, which is total bullshit. You know, I hear all the time people say, well, they told me this. They told me they didn't want to be in a relationship, but I, what I, I know they actually do because they treat me like they're in one. Uh, no, they told you the truth. Whenever there is a mismatch between behavior and words is red flag. A red flag to get curious. You know, most people say, trust actions over words. And that fucks us up because someone says, I don't want to be in a relationship with you, but I like doing the Humpty Hump with you. But then they treat you like a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're like, but they treat me like one. So believe actions over words. No, whenever there's a mismatch, get curious, ask questions because you're picking up something. You're picking up something and you're likely catching the feelings. All right, well, that is the end of question time. And what a beautiful opportunity to do a little letter action. If you love this episode, please share it. If you love any of the other ones, please share them. That was so helpful for me. And if you can go wherever you listen to this and leave a five-star review and a written review, that is super helpful to get into more people's ears. I hope this format was helpful. I wanted to play around with it and try something new. I hope you all have the most wonderful day wherever this finds you. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.